0: Baha'i Perspective is a radio program of biographical interviews of people who have either chosen the Baha'i Faith as a way of life, or who have a relationship with the Baha'i Faith. Today, I'm playing an interview with Tahareh Daliri Sharafat. Tahareh is of Persian heritage. She was born in Brazil and grew up there. As a teenager, Tahareh contracted rheumatoid juvenile arthritis. She insisted on following her intuition in regards to the doctor's diagnosis being incorrect. Her parents respected her feelings, and in so doing, this debilitating disease was caught early, and she was healed. After graduating from university, Tahare went to Tanzania to work for a non-governmental organization, or NGO. The NGO is called Jipua and it works with children who are expelled from school because they fail their entrance exams. I started the interview by asking Tahereh to describe where she grew up and what was it like growing up there.
1: Well, I grew up in Brazil, and a city called Aracaju is in the northeast of Brazil. It's a very small city. I think it's around 400,000 people. It was very nice. We were a small family, my parents, my brother and I. I grew up in a Baha'i family. I remember that everything was around going to the school, doing our stuff, and then service, like Baha'i activities. Every night there was something going on in our house. And we were all always part of that. Mm -hmm. So it became very normal. And that was like what yeah. is life for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know different.
0: So, what were your interests growing up?
1: Art, music, art. art, music. What did, you, what did you do with art? <laughs> I liked paint, paint and drawings and things mm-hmm. like that. I mm-hmm. I love painting. I just do it. It's just yeah. my hobby. Right. It's relaxing. Yeah. And what about music? It seems like in my family. They have like a music blood coming in the, the Leary family of mm. my of my mom's side. But I always liked to sing. I always wanted to learn how to play the piano, but that never happened. So I ended up just singing, and mm. I felt like something could accompany that. So I ended up learning how to play the guitar. Mm-hmm. I started drawing, putting melodies into hidden words. So I love doing that. It's one of the things I like most in music, but I also love music generally anyway.
0: So just for the listeners who may not know what the hidden words are, that's a work by Baha'u'llah that has a bunch of short pieces to it. And I was wondering maybe you could sing us an example of what you... Hmm.
1: God, hidden words, the, Without hidden words with me. the guitar. Okay, let me try.
0: Okay. Before Tahareh sings, I would like to provide you with the English translation of the hidden word of Baha'u'llah. It goes like this. O son of being, if thine heart be set upon this eternal, imperishable dominion and this ancient, everlasting life, forsake this mortal and fleeting sovereignty. Here is Tahiré singing this hidden word in her native language of Portuguese.
2: Doce, ó oh filho do céu, se si teu coração anseia por esse domínio eterno, Imperecível, por esta vida antiga. Imortal Abandona soberania efêmera e fugaz e fugaz. Oh, filho do ser. Oh, filho do ser. Oh, filho do ser. I feel, I feel the same.
0: Very nice, thank you. Do you have like a middle school in uh, Brazil?
1: Middle school? Yeah,
0: like sixth, seventh, eighth grade. How do they, how does how the school? Yeah, I think work it there?
1: works. Yeah, middle school, high school, but it's all together. I mean, yeah, I don't think they're separate. Mm-hmm. They they you have separate schools, just like kindergarten mm-hmm. and all, but. Uh, my school, for example, I studied middle school and high school in the same school mm-hmm. all the way through.
0: I understand you were ill when you were a child.
1: Oh, yeah. I was you wondering... know, I had cold.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, those but, things but, terrible. But, uh, yeah, but I think I heard about something that there, there was something a little more serious than a cold.
1: <laughs> I think I was around... The, 15-ish, maybe, maybe almost 15. Anyways, I had something that is called juvenile arthritis. It's a specific type of arthritis that is rheumatoid and juvenile. It's a rheumatoid arthritis, and it's juvenile because it usually happens during that age of 15 or so, whatever. So I had that. They say it's genetic, but... We don't know anyone in my family that has it anyways. So it's probably genetic, but it's just, I could not have it, but something probably instigated it.
0: Your gene pool made you predisposition to having it?
1: To having it, right. When I say to a doctor that I had it, they look at me and they say, no, you're talking about something else. You wouldn't be sitting here if you had it. So I don't know. Anyways... It's a very hardcore arthritis. Usually, by the time doctors figure out that you had it, you are already in the last stage and you die.
2: Because
1: mm. it's very painful and very... All your joints start getting all crooked and you cannot move them. And Mine, I was a bit lucky, I guess. God was um, guiding us. And a few things happened, I guess, that made us go to another town early in this stage.
0: What were your first symptoms that aroused suspicion that something mm. was wrong?
1: Well, I had a small surgery before that, where it was just a very simple, supposedly a very simple surgery.
0: For the same problem? No, oh, it okay. was
1: just a surgery for a cyst it was supposed to be very simple. It was laparoscopy, so they just made little holes. They go there. It's very cute and clean. <laughs> but then suddenly, they decided to open my cute belly. So after the surgery, you know, a few days after, I started coming out with some fever. And the doctors started getting worried, thinking that it was some sort of general infection, that it could be from the surgery. So a lot of tests were starting to being done. It wasn't a in fact, general infection, but they didn't have any clue of what it was from the symptoms that they had. But I kept complaining about this pain in my butt. I know it sounds funny, but I had a pain in my butt. Yeah,
0: that's interesting. But So it wasn't a joint.
1: It was like, you know, in, in a joint maybe on my butt. Okay. But because I was taking many medication and different types of medication and some of them were injection oh, on my okay. butt. Right, the right, right. doctors kept saying, this is the injections. Right. Don't your, worry. It's your muscles nothing. just
0: sore from just, all the injections. Right.
1: So they kept going on, on that, and they finally decided that they're going to do another surgery because uh, to see if it is a general infection, what is going on. So the night before of that surgery, I was very... Um, I was upset because I knew it wasn't an infection, and I knew that they were wrong, and I I was just so sure. And then I started crying. I told my mom, Mom, this is a mistake. I should not do this surgery. And she said, So what should we do? I said, I don't know, but I know I shouldn't do it. So my mom kept praying the whole night, right, because she doesn't sleep with this thing. So she prayed, and... In the morning of the surgery, the doctor come to the room and he say, he says, before we do the prep for the surgery, I want to take you for a last exam. And he takes me to a heart exam, echo something. And suddenly, after the exam, he says that oh, before the results come out, I told my mom, you know, if he says something in this result is wrong. We can go to my uncle's city. It was another city called Recife. He, My uncle insisted me in, in going there to do a better treatment because it was a much better hospital, everything. So I said, you know, we should go there if he said something about my exam. So then, right after that, he said, there is something in her heart. There is a liquid between these two membranes, and that should be investigated. So then, right in the second, my dad booked air tickets and we left two hours after to my uncle's city. When we arrived, there was like this huge group of doctors. There were seven of them, one for each area of my body and they analyzed everything. (laughs) (laughs) But they were very bold and they decided that the best way to find out what I had was to cut all the drugs that I was taking, and see what was happening. But that idea was also very dangerous because it could just suddenly, I don't know, go crazy and die. So they monitored me for like 24 hours. And after that, they say, well, she's alive. So let's start doing the exams. And that's what they did. And they were very competent. So they went deep into every issue that it could be. My luck comes when two of my doctors were specialists in very similar areas of what I had. Imagine if it was something else, but they really went into, so they went into fevers. They were specialists in fevers and different types of fevers. So they did so many tests on me. And they still, by in few weeks, they still didn't have, they were not sure about what I had, but they tried few drugs and say we think it might be this, so they start trying few things, and they start seeing results. And they said, "Okay, this is it." So they f- have a good feedback when still I wasn't in the last stage, and they that that's when they came to my parents and they said that I was extremely extremely lucky. Usually, it's very hard to discover the actual. Disease because the, the initial symptoms are so similar to other things. So you can think it's, a, it's just a normal arthritis, or so you can think it's a Mediterranean fever. They, there's so many things that they, they say that they can come up with that it prolongs a real diagnosis. So by the time that they found out, I was able to actually recover. But I remember then I couldn't walk anymore.
0: Really? Yeah. It was progressing that quickly. Oh
1: yes, I I really I would walk with help of my parents. That's I could right. not even sit properly because of all my pain in the mm-hmm. in the right. So I would sit in a very funny way, or I would sleep and in, in so the so this the, was the, the
0: arthritis was originating sort of around in the hips
1: hips, and then it, it goes to others, right? Yeah, it was extremely bad. If you so see me, they, you would not think I could walk again.
0: So how was it that they were able to cure you? I mean, it was really is, inspiration. Is it, a cure, is it a curable disease?
1: They say that no. They say that this can come up any other time in your life. Well, I don't know much about it, like how frequent it can come or yeah. whatever. But I think first of all, they were definitely inspired by God. So many people around that knew me in Brazil went out were praying for me. And I think that initially can just be the main cause. Second cause, they got in a very good stage, so they were able to give me very strong drugs. There were a few type of drugs that they gave me, and that helped in that moment. And in um, continuation, a few of my family's friends suggested this uh, special type of vitamin supplementation that I believe it was very important for my recuperation. And since then, I don't have any pain in my joints. And I hopefully expect that it would not come back. But then, again, I try to have a nice diet. And I always take this supplement with me. I think it it was very helpful.
0: So there was nothing unusual about your diet when you when you were a kid up to that point. No, right. It's
1: not food related. It's not food related. Even though when I was sick I could not eat so I was with malnutrition. So I had to take a lot of supplementation Mm. to come back to like healthy you know. And I think that's why it was important because by the time they found out your body is so weak that it cannot even accept drugs anymore. So that nutritional supplementation that I took, it's a natural. Actually, it's a natural algae from deep in the ocean, they say. It's called chlorella. I took that. So it was very good, and it kept my body stronger, and I think maybe that helped the drugs to affect better.
0: From the time that you were, like, starting to become crippled by this disease. Uh Uh-huh. To the time that you were fully recovered, Mm. what time frame are we talking about?
1: We are talking about over six months. I missed almost a year of school. Almost. It was around eight months to ten months. Oh, but if you say fully recovered, I'm sorry. I wasn't fully recovered then. Actually, I almost lost that year in the school, but I went to do my final exams with pain. And I was able to actually pass the exams. So you were
0: being tutored at home or?
1: No, I, I, you know, I went to do the exams just with what I knew from the first few months of school that I went. I I really don't know how I passed this exam. Don't even go there. (laughs) I don't know. I remember I was sitting in those chairs and, you know, there are multiple choices, questions and I would just look and I'm like, oh gosh, I really want to leave. And I would just like mark everything that I will see. The pain was so strong. So I would just do that. Oh I God. really, And I really don't know how I pass. My brother, sometimes he would sit with me at the bed, by the bed, and he mm. would, Say, Taheri, maybe we should read a little bit before you go to Texas. And I'm like, I cannot read. So he would read it for me. And I'm like, I don't know why you do this. I cannot even think. Mm-hmm. So he would, like, you know, if they ask you this, you should mark that. He's so nice. You'll sit uh-huh. next to me and he would, like, you know, try to encourage me. That's and then sweet. when we were going to the exam, uh, to the final exams, he was like, you should say a prayer before you do your test. Mm-hmm. So he was always, like, on my side and helping
3: me.
0: It no, he was older?
1: Yeah, he's older than me. So I don't know how, but I passed that year. And my recovery continued doing that break before school started. I started school fine, but I was still taking dr- drugs and my nutritional supplementation even a few months after. I think I just started those. stopped taking those drugs a year after maybe it was mm. for a long time it was a very long treatment my doctor wanted to make sure we would like do a full-on thing and a full co- uh, recovery I would say was more than a year yes. so
0: what's actually happening in the joints that the doctors were able to reverse
1: I don't know
0: okay,
1: I really don't know, but it oh it, it's a some some sort of inflammation is happening oh, I there, see. so they gave cortisones that
2: cortisones yeah. Cortisone. for
1: that type of inflammation, mm-hmm. but the problem is in the stage that it is that you already cannot move anymore is very already far there is inflammation, but I think then you start progressing to something else that I don't know exactly what it is. Actually, I always had the interest to study more about it. I should do it. Yeah. Now you ask so many questions, I'm like, okay, I why it, I don't know this thing? I just
0: find it so interesting. Yeah, you know? it
1: is. It's a very interesting story. It gets even dramatic. I mean, so many tears. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's an interesting yeah. story. I yeah. think the part that amazes me is every time when I went to go to a new doctor and... He says, Is there Any history that I should know? I said, Well, I had, uh, I had rheumatoid. rheumatoid juvenile arthritis when I was 15, but then I'm fine now. And then they look at me <laughs> and they, Are you sure? You're sure about the name? Is this really the type of? I'm like, Yeah. No, I don't think so. Maybe you're saying this one. I'm like, No, no, I'm sure it's this one. know, you wouldn't be sitting here if you had this. I'm like, No. He's like, no, 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 you wouldn't be even walking if you had this. I'm like, no, I really had it. Yeah. So they don't even Im- believe that it, it was possible that I came to. Yeah. When I arrived at home after mm-hmm. that, I wasn't still walking much, but I was walking better. And my brother saw me because he didn't come to with me, he didn't stay with me in the other city. So he was so, so surprised. He's like, yeah. whoa. Because it was very shocking. Like I wasn't was in still in recovery, but I wasn't.
0: So, how do you think that experience informed your attitude about life?
1: Well, I keep saying to Rami. Rami is my husband, by the
3: way.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I keep saying to Rami that I think that first and foremost brought me and my brother even closer. I feel we were always close family, but I think that even put us closer together. Besides that, I think it made me believe in this very, I'm not saying miracle, I don't use, use miracle, but in the power of God, that God can do whatever He pleases. If we really trust in Him, He would do whatever He pleases. And it made me feel like life is... you should not be shy with life. I think there is a lot to say. There is a lot to do. There is a lot to laugh. There is a lot to smile. You know, there is so much. And I feel there is not a place to do little steps and just go home and then do all the little steps and then go work and then just staying that little life. I don't wanna belittle any one or sure, anything. Sure. I understand. But I'm just saying it made me feel that there is much more to be done and we should not waste time. I was always a very hyper person, but it was not even about being hyper, it was about not being afraid. I mean why be afraid after all of this you've gone through I mean it's, mm. it's just you cannot go worse than that at this point yeah i just don't like to be afraid but i get afraid a lot no don't don't get me wrong when i feel a little bit scared of something i think that no you know like i remember this and i'm like i'm not that i'm a i'm i'm another person
0: what did you do after high school
1: then after high school i went to university and I went to another city in south of Brazil, very beautiful island, called Florianópolis, and I studied nutrition. Actually, sorry, I, before that, I went to a year service in a place called Soltanier. It's an educational center. So I went to in volunteer Brazil? there. Right, I went to volunteer there for over, almost a year. It was mm. my first time alone, out of home. I was like 17, I think. It was a very interesting experience because after I got sick, I was very protected, very like my baby. Everything was surrounded by protection. So that was very liberating, a very growing
0: experience. You said it's a school?
1: It's not exactly a school. It's a Baha'i educational center where there are many conferences, workshops, many activities going on there. And on the top of that, many... Administrative bodies, I would say, work there. So I was volunteering one of those. I would help in everything. It was very exciting. I met so many people working there. It actually started increasing my social abilities, I would say.
0: So then after that, you went to university?
1: I went to university. And why did
0: you study nutrition? What moved you to study nutrition?
1: Mm. I initially, I wanted to do something engineer, actually, because I always love math and physics. So I thought, well, if you like math and physics, you should do engineer. So I was initially thinking and planning to do engineer. But after consulting a lot with my parents and my brother, I, I'm all about consulting You, you I don't know if you notice, know but I like consultations, so anyways, we were talking about it, and one day me and my brother came to the conclusion that actually I like a lot math and physics, but I wouldn't match with engineer persona persona right so then we start reevaluating the whole thing, and then uh, we came I just throwing out there I was saying. There was this huge list of things that I love to do. Oh, just a explanation. You know, in Brazil, you have to decide your exact choice before you go to university. You cannot mm-hmm. choose in- during. So it's a bit harder. Anyway, so we were going through that. And then I mentioned, well, I like the idea of food as a way of well-being and of maybe even cure of diseases or support and that, you know. And, all. and then he's like, well, Thailand, so then it's clear. You should be a nutritionist. And I'm like, no, nutritionists are those people that cook food, you know. And he's like, no, 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 it's all like that. So we start researching about it, and I realize, like, well, it's a growing science, but people are starting to develop in this idea And I was like, okay, I want to do that then because I really liked the idea of uh, nutrition as a bigger role in our health than medicine, I would say, Mm. maybe than drugs, right? As food more important than drugs. That was our thing. Drugs are important when they are very needed, but they could be prevented if you have a very good diet, right?
0: You studied nutrition for four years?
1: Five. Actually, my course was very intense. Five full-time years. No break.
0: So you graduated. I did. Mm -hmm. It was a good day. (laughs) (laughs) So what did you do after you graduated from Uh, university?
1: After I graduated, I actually requested to graduate before my class. (laughs) My class was graduating on January February of 2005, and I requested to the <laughs> coordinator of my course, uh, of the nutrition department, if I could graduate in December 2004, because I was planning to go to Haifa in Israel for service in the Baha'i World Center, and then it was approved, and then I graduated on the end of 2004.
0: Alone. (laughs) (laughs) All by yourself. All
1: by myself.
0: (laughs) Now, what made you want to do a year of service at the Baha'i World Center?
1: Well, I went there when I was maybe 17, uh, 16, I think. I really loved it, but I really don't know how to explain it. It just felt like I wanted to go there again because I could not appreciate it that well. What was very nice of our trip was that we've been through many places in Israel and we saw many holy places for different religions, like for Islam, for Christians, for Jews, and for the Baha'i. So it was a very exciting trip in that sense. But when I went to the Baha'i gardens and the Baha'i holy places, I was very amazed by the beauty of the place. But my heart was longing for more because I felt like I still didn't understand it properly. So I prayed a lot that one day I could be able to come back. And if that happened, that I would be able to enjoy it the best way possible, deeply. And one day after that... I found out that actually you can go and serve there as a volunteer in many different areas of the places is like cleaning the garden or cleaning the places or like simple things like that, but they are very hard work so then I thought that that was a very exciting thing, and after my year' service in the Sultaner, I was very excited with the idea of serving. In Baha the Baha'i Wars. World Center. I first initially thought that I would do that during my studies in the university. I would like stop for a year. I will go there and come back. But that never happened. So when I was almost about, almost in the end, I applied and I finally got accepted. But I decided to go for two and a half years initially. I ended up staying there for almost three years.
0: And what did you do there?
1: I cleaned. (laughs) I cleaned the heck out of it. (laughs) (laughs) I cleaned. I didn't even want to choose what I wanted to do there. I just wanted to go there. And then whatever they asked me to do, I said, okay, I will do that. Mm. And I was pleased with whatever they wanted to give it to me. I mean, Mm. I had applied a few times before, and they said, no, we thank you very much, but no, thank you very much. So I was like, oh, okay, thank you, thank you, thank you, that you were me this time. Mm. It was a bit different for me. I never had cleaned before. In Brazil, we usually have maids. It's cheaper than U.S. to have a maid than in Brazil. So we had maids in our house, you know. I don't want to sound like I'm a princess, but we had maids. <laughs> so I never had to clean. I mean, I usually clean my room. I like to clean my room myself. It's a different thing to clean a room to wash the dishes, and uh, to
2: really be
1: cleaning. So in the beginning, it was a bit hard for me. But when I say the beginning, I say really like the few first months, like two or three months. But I wouldn't say just because of the cleaning. I think the cleaning wasn't even the hardest part. It was more the adaptation, being alone. Not alone, but without your family, out of your house, in another country. But at the same time, I started making friendships and getting used to my work and feeling more confident about what I was doing. I really presence many of my friends sometimes saying, Oh, you know, we are here cleaning a toilet. In my country, this is so low or something like that. I would think that, well, would it be low or would it be a blessing to be in the Holy Land because... Israel is considered the Holy Land. It's where all the uh, sacred religions are there. But to be in the Holy Land cleaning a toilet doesn't sound that bad. I mean, in these toilets, to be honest, were very clean. I mean, you're not cleaning <laughs> anything too dirty anyway. So, you know, just do it. It's fun. I think overall, I really enjoyed my time mm. there.
2: Yeah.
1: There were moments I feel like, oh, I really want to go home and stay with my family. And there were moments that are like, I want to stay here forever. I'm very happy that the moments that I felt like I wanted to stay here forever, there were more than the moments that I wanted to go home. But I think that happens everywhere. Everywhere you miss your family, your, your home. and So I really, really, really loved it.
0: Could you have stayed longer than three years?
1: Well, I could have extended. I usually consult with my parents, as you already heard. <laughs> when I was consulting with my parents when I was close to my departure, my parents weren't too inclined with the idea of extending, even though they always left it very open, whatever your heart wants. But when I had mentioned the idea of going to Tanzania and working with my aunt, they were very excited with that.
0: So how did that even come up, the idea of going to Tanzania? Where did that Mm -hmm. come from?
1: Where did that come from? Okay, my aunt has this NGO...
0: Non-governmental
1: organization. Uh, right. Uh, it's called Shipua. Chipua is a name in Swah- Swahili. It's the native language. And this uh, organization works with children. They are expelled from the school. Don't pass the exam. So they're expelled. They're not accepted again unless they pass that exam. And they, this exam is very tricky because it, it is in English while they study in Kiswahili. So it's very confusing for yeah. them.
0: Now, why is that? Why? It, it, why? The,
1: the, the education system there is a bit off.
0: That's too bad.
1: It's not nice. Yeah. So these kids stay in the streets. So what she does, it, this isn't just in her neighborhood. She's now starting to try to grow a little bit more, but it's so much that she can do alone, and that's why she'll she be happy if there are volunteers that go there, you know. She get these kids, and she gets some teachers, uh, volunteers. She's one of the teachers also. And you start teaching them all of the curriculum. And they stay there every day from like 7.30 until 4.30 studying. And they become like a family. So it's very beautiful. And then every time the exam comes up, the best ones that she see there's progressing, she suggests them to do the exam. And if they get accepted, they go back to school. So mm. every year, every year, more students come. Not even every year, every month, I would say. And every time few of them get accepted, is a very happy thing because this doesn't happen that often. It's very hard for them, so it's a slow process. And the hardest thing is to get teachers to volunteer to go and teach these kids that's one of the hardest jobs. On the side, she has a few other projects and one of them is uh, woman empowerment. She teaches crafts to a group of women and empowers them so they're able to themselves do a lower scale be- business and produce some arts and crafts and sell them and So she teaches them bookkeeping and all of those things. So
0: these women are like high school age?
1: High school or even older. It depends. Yeah, it depends.
0: After closing on your third year at Haifa, you thought of maybe you could be doing this instead?
1: Yeah. I really don't know how it started, how the idea came. But one day, suddenly we started talking about it, me and my aunt. We were back and forth emailing each other. She was very excited. I was very excited. So that was the idea. But before that, I went to Brazil. And it was very good that I went there. Because then my brother suddenly decided to get married. And I saw that happening. Mm. It was beautiful. Mm. Then I stayed like a couple of months there. And then after that, I went to Tanzania to work with my aunt.
0: And what was your job in this NGO?
1: I would help her with everything. She tells me my job was to boss her around. (laughs) but I was usually coordinating those programs I would help her with finance I would help her with everything that I could because she really didn't have much help so everything that actually come up I would help her writing proposals but Mm. usually I would coordinate the programs so she would be free to actually deal with the bureaucratic issues of the organization itself, she had a lot of work Oh, my gosh. I really don't know how she could do so many things. And I also helped with organizing everything. And
0: Who did the teaching?
1: We had few volunteers that would teach because most of the time they had to know Kiswahili to be able. I didn't know that much Kiswahili. But I would help a few times, and she would help a few times. Whenever a teacher wouldn't come, you had to go there and do it. And it was very funny because the kids would not understand you sometimes. But it was okay. We, would, we could do it. It was fun. It was fun. But I would help with the craft girls sometimes. That was easier because I'm like, oh, we can do this. And like, I like art, so it was fun. The craft activities.
0: And how long did you do this for?
1: A little bit less than six months, like five months, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then what happened?
1: And then I got married Ah, with my beloved husband. (gasps) So
0: how did that happen?
1: We met there in Tanzania. We just met in my aunt's house Mm. because he was coming to the town.
0: What was he working on at the time?
1: Oh, yeah. He worked in a school eight hours away from where I was. It was called Ruaha Secondary School. It was a Baha'i school. Ruaha. So he worked there as a teacher, and also he was coordinating scholarships, and he was the secretary of the direct. He was so many things. My gosh. Mm. He was a list of things. Yeah, so he was working in this high school eight hours away from Mm. where I was. So he came for a visit in Dar Salaam, where I was, and he stayed in my aunt's house, and we met there. Then came love.
0: What did the two of you do after you got married?
1: Well, we decided to go to South Korea.
0: Why didn't you stay in Tanzania?
1: Initially, I had a visa
0: issue. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
1: My visa was expiring two days after we got married. I tried to extend as long as I could, and they just gave me for two days after that. So we knew we had to leave. And we consulted about it when we... We're not too inclined with the idea of living in U.S. right now. We wanted to come in a year or so to go do our grad school and establish. And also, since I'm not American, I had to do my green card. And there was a whole process that I had to
0: start. So Ramin is a, was a, is a U.S. citizen.
1: He is a U.S. citizen. He's American. He raised a flag. Yeah, so we, we decided that... We would come to U.S. in a later moment, and we'd start deciding where to go. And we both had interest in going to Asia for some reason. So we said, okay, let's try to go somewhere in Asia. We had to move very fast. We didn't have much time because we decided to get married one month before. So we suddenly got a response from South Korea, and South Korea was. And then... We decided to go to South mm-hmm. Korea. It was a very quick decision. We didn't really have much mm-hmm. time to decide.
0: Who got the job in South Korea?
1: My husband, Rami. And he what, got, what job was that? He was in, teaching English. Mm-hmm. He was mm-hmm. teaching English in a in a school,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I became a housewife.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> what was that like?
1: It was horrible. <laughs> I cannot be a housewife. We learned that. <laughs> uh, No, it was interesting. I mean I came up with I I would do a few things here and there. Mm -hmm. But I ended up starting my, my masters program in online university. In what? In the healthcare management.
0: Yeah. And now why did you choose that?
1: Well, I always had very strong interest in public health and that was my inclination since university. But later on in life, I realized in working here and there that I had a very strong inclination to management. And Rami mentioned, like, you're very good at managing things and you should pay attention to that. So I realized that maybe I could combine two and I thought that it would be an interesting idea.
0: So you've been studying online for the year that you were in South Korea?
1: Yeah, a little bit less than a year.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, You're back here at the moment in the States. Yeah. So you were Ramin's contract was only for a year, or is that what the story was?
1: Ramin's contract was for one year. We could extend it if we wanted to, but we we decided to go to Brazil.
0: Why does that seem like the thing to do?
1: Oh, yeah, maybe I should explain that. We loved South Korea. And actually, I really wanted to stay. I think somehow Ramin also wanted to. But... I could not work there since I am not a native English speaker. Usually foreigners would go there to teach English. There were a few other jobs maybe that a foreign could get there, but usually it's very hard unless you are married to a Korean or something like that and you have to know Korean. So it's a little bit complicated. In our case, then, this was a challenge that I could not work. And uh, Ramin also wasn't too crazy about teaching English there, since his inclination is more for international development than teaching English. And that was more like, okay, let's do this for one year. He wants to try to get into the direction of his, uh, what is his field?
0: Which is should, international development. Is
1: more, yeah, it's more in that area.
0: Mm-hmm. What will you be doing in Brazil for a year?
1: Well, the initial idea is to go there to ho- help the Baha'i community. This is why we are going there. And there are many plans, many projects, and this we are going for that for one year. And, of course, we're probably going to have to get a job or something to survive.
0: It's sort of a holding pattern because he needs to apply for graduate school, and you want to apply for graduate school. Is that what it is? Oh,
1: yeah. He also he wants to apply for grad school to come maybe to next fall, I probably will continue with my online program. It's not exactly a plan because we have to wait for one year, because we had other ideas maybe that we could have done. We thought that it, it was the perfect moment to do this. Let me put it this way: mm-hmm. We thought that this was a very good moment to do something like this, since in a later moment we might want to have kids or things like that, and we won't have the flexibility to be moving so much. And right now we can, we, we are just me and him, we are young, so we thought that it was a perfect timing. But yes, we, he wants to do his grad school next year. so
0: What would you like to do once you get your degree in healthcare what? management?
1: He wants to...
0: De- no, what do you want to do?
1: Yeah, but it's related to him. I'm saying he, his master's wants to be inclined to something related to African studies or something. So I think uh, we might end up working in something like that. I mean, I hope that wherever he wants to work, I'm going to be able to go there and work there. But my idea with health administration initially wasn't too much as like administration, health, and hospital. It was more in the sense of why community-wise, city-wise, country-wise, like let's organize this thing, you know. I know that's very related to public health, but, I mean, you have to manage it too, right? Mm-hmm. Someone has to organize it. So that is what I was thinking. But my idea is to be able to help people to have access to health in places where health is so...
0: Poor. so i get the sense that you and ramin really want to have careers that are basically in service to humanity
1: i hope so i mean if it's for if if it's not for that it will be for what we don't need much in life i mean you need a little bit of money here and there to get a house to get a car to get a your food but then then, then what It it becomes a bit boring if it's no more than that, at least in my mind. I get bored easily. (laughs) I really think there is a bigger purpose out there. If we don't hold our hands together, if we don't do something, not much is going to change. And uh, we all have good ideas, you know. We all have interesting i'm I might not end up doing this that I have the desire for, uh, like you see i uh, before I wanted to go public health and now I'm doing health administration. you never know I might be end up doing something else, but that we should move with our feelings, we should use them, we should put them in in some some sort of action, and they they're gonna take you somewhere when we see something like oh you know. They should have done it. Like, don't say they, we. Mm.
0: <laughs>
1: and you go and do it. There's little that we can do, but we should do this, that little. That's our theory. <laughs> <laughs> and you are sticking to it.
0: <laughs> well, Tahereh, thank you so much for coming into the studio and talking with me.
1: Oh, it was so fun.
0: And good luck in your future endeavors with Ramin.
1: Thank you. You too, you
2: know. (laughs) Thank you.
0: I hope you enjoyed that interview with Tahereh Daliri Sharafat, a young Brazilian Baha'i who has traveled to Israel, Tanzania, South Korea, and the U.S. in service to humanity. For a copy of this and other programs, you can go to the website www.abahaiperspective.com. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.bahai.org, or you can call the toll free number 1 800 22 Unite. I hope you'll join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective.
4: The better part of a week She'd lived her life through him For such a long time When she looked inside herself She wasn't sure what she'd find She had to open the door a little wider now She had to dig a little deeper inside her somehow She walked into the fire alone and scared stiff Now she says his leaving was a strangely wrapped gift Little Jamie's body has never worked right He's never had the peace of sleeping straight through the night Parents get weary and his parents get worn. Still they always bless the day that little Jamie was born He opens the door a little wider now Lifts them up a little higher somehow It may look to the world like a 24-hour shift but as folks know life with James Is just a strangely wrapped game What is it that we're really made of? How else will we ever know? Till the hand puts us in the fire Do we burn or do we glow? on my doorstep, looks sad and forlorn The wrapping paper's faded, it's all tattered and torn For a moment I wonder what on earth it might be Till I see the tag and realize it's made out to me It's gonna open the door a little wider now Lift me up a little higher somehow I used to run like the blazes Now I get the drift Someone who loves me Send me a strangely bad gift Someone who loves me Someone who really, really loves me Someone who loves me Send me a strangely wrapped gift